women development, women growth wasn't part of my education. I was 30 when, when they gave me a name for this. I don't know and I was like, what is that? It's such a long word as well. You're physically vomiting quite a, a lot. Anything I ate couldn't digest. Headaches, sexual relations, very painful. A lot of back pain, pelvic pain, acne, hot flushes, you name it. Oh, that was a word that was so foreign to me. Cécile, part two. Alternative medicine to me was a complete joke. It was like, oh, these people dancing around a crystal. Like, I'm exaggerating, but that's the perception that I had of it because I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know anything about supplements. I didn't know anything about sports. Well, actually, as a matter of fact, I, I pretty much hated sports. I didn't know anything about acupuncture. And it wasn't even an option. And particularly I'd go to the doctors and they'd never, ever recommended anything outside of medical treatments and pills and whatnot. So again, I stayed away from the painkillers because I, I can't stand them. But not once did someone say to me, have you thought about not smoking and not working 12 hours a day? Never. Um, and I was an adult. I mean, 30 is pretty, you know was supposed to be pretty mature so I could have figured it out on my own and I could have gone to explore things but I think I'm the kind of person I push it I push it and then I get to a point where it's kind of like okay I can't I can't sustain that that's it and that's what happened in 2010 so that was literally four years later I hit the wall finally and I was like I can't do this anymore I'm not going to carry on having a, a love affair with my laptop and smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee and whatnot but i really had to like reach the point where it's like okay you must stop now and what happened that made you stop <laughs> what happened well i had so i had a last not the last actually the one before last um i had a laparoscopy in july i think 2010 and i had tried pretty much every um treatment medical treatment that was on offer um i was at some point offered a um, treatment that would change my voice into a man's voice. Um, and it was a serious offer. I'd like to, <laughs> I'd like to put it in there. It's a funny anecdote. So I turn up and I go to this appointment with this crazy, well, it's not crazy, but he's, he doesn't understand what I'm going through. You know, he calls me miserable. I probably was miserable, but anyway. And he's like, look, you've got three treatments available to you now. First one, it's a, it's a pill and it'll give you massive breast the second one will give you a man's voice and it's irreversible and the third one i can't remember what the third one was but at this stage i really thought to myself um yeah i think i'll take the man's voice why not uh, <laughs> it was just that but that tells you though on the serious note because i always tell that story i thought it was really funny at, at the time but at the same time it wasn't funny it's literally like what do you want me to do the, these treatments were just crazy like i don't know what to offer you anymore so would you try a man's voice <laughs> it's like i'm sure i will <laughs> i will try that and see if it works um but anyway so in i in july 2010 i had a laparoscopy again and then they offered the marina coil which is a um a T-shaped device um, with hormones then being dispatched continuously and it's inserted in your, I think it's pelvis, uh, pardon my ignorance. And it was the worst thing ever. Within two weeks I had put on the stone, 
I was in so much pain. I was crying every day. I remember being on holiday in the Caribbean, which is like so beautiful. And I was just literally screaming and crying every day, emailing my doctor. That's how sad it was. And I was like, you must remove it. And he convinced me to keep it on because it takes time to, you know, to take effect and whatnot. And, and I was so, so desperate at the time, I think, because I started realizing that everything had failed that I had no more options apart from the man's voice, but I don't think this. something. Or, or you could have gone with the big breasts. <laughs> I did, I did. Um, but again, it didn't work. It didn't make a difference to the pain. <laughs> yeah, I made a lot of friends during that period. <laughs> and so it was unbearable and I didn't work. I didn't work from July through to December. Like literally I was in so much pain. I was bleeding every day for six months. I was anemic and I was like, that's it. There is nothing left. I had tried temporary menopause. Literally, it was the end of my road. Or rather, I was offered, you know, pregnancy or hysterectomy or different ends of the spectrum, I suppose. But is, these are not options that I would. Although I, I, I did consider a hysterectomy at some point and I didn't have the guts to do it. I didn't have the courage to do it because it's so dramatic and it's literally so impactful on your life that I was like I'll, I'll just try anything else but not that so that coral in December 2010 I was in South Africa at the time um, and I went to see a gynecologist and he was like um, okay we're going to remove this now now and it's they're not supposed to because they're not your gynecologist but he was like I'm going to remove it for you but and also what I'm going to do is I'm going to recommend you to an acupuncturist and I was like what hey what and he said you know you can go back on the pill because you've tried everything you can go back on the pill but please can you give acupuncture a try and then see if it helps you at all and I was like okay fair enough and it's the first time since 2006 that somebody had offered a doctor had offered something that wasn't medical and I still speak to him I email him when I get PR opportunities or when I do something that's good for awareness around endometriosis and thank him regularly because he's the one who actually mentioned acupuncture to me first. And were you instantly convinced and motivated to try acupuncture? Absolutely not. Well, absolutely not. It wasn't a long time. I was in South Africa, I spent Christmas there, I think New Year's. And then I came back to the UK and I was like, I think you need to change your life. I think you've gone so far into trying to pretend that endometriosis is not there and trying to, you know, just carry on with your work life. And it's not working because I couldn't, you know, physically get a job anymore. I was too tired. I was in pain all the time. Obviously, you can imagine that my mental health was quite impacted by it. So I came back to the UK and I was like, okay, so let's just change. And me, when I change things, I change everything. So yeah, so go, it's the French thing maybe. I don't know. I don't go halfway as you probably know by now. So I stopped smoking. I changed my diet. I started acupuncture in the same month in January. And for the smoking, did you get a treatment or did you just stop? Nope. Oh, and the treatment was a m the mother of hangovers. <laughs> and I tried to pick up a cigarette the next day and I couldn't. And the day after, I, I couldn't either. It's just a small miracle after 19 years. And I was like, eh, that's it, I'm done. It was really easy, actually. No smoking. So I started reading a lot about, you know, wheat intolerances and lactose and stuff and blah. And I had been told, because I had seen a, a nutritionist before, and they mentioned these things that were, that were actually quite bad for my system, but I half listened. Again, it's like, eh, 
nutritionist, what is this? Is this like a proper job? And so I actually started reading about these things and making changes to my diet. So I removed bread and then I lowered caffeine levels and then started drinking I think like to free milk at the time and stuff like really trying to help myself look into supplements that I could take to support my system. And, and I booked a session with an acupuncturist here in London, actually just literally five minutes away from here. And I started and within, I'd say within a month, about 90% of the pain was gone after studying acupuncture. And I'm talking about the daily pain. I'm not talking about the um, the symptoms that I talked about before. I think this, some of the stuff can be managed and other things more difficult, like, you know, fatigue is difficult to address. Um, headaches is difficult to address. And painful sex is difficult to address. All these things that have bladder issues, bowel issues, blah. They're, you know, too much surgery, I don't know. But these things are not uh, difficult to address. So you have to be quite careful all the time with your body. But I think it's the, it's the great learning curve. That's that's the lesson. That's the thing. It's like you sit down and you're kind of like, okay, I have to help myself now. I'm not the enemy because I ended up hating my body. It's like, what are you doing? You're not on my team. I'm trying to work. I'm trying to build my career, and you're not like you're stopping me from doing all these things. It's ridiculous. So for for years, I was like, I hate you. I hated my body. And then you kind of have to reconcile because you reach a point where you realize that it's not going to work. It's not sustainable. So that was that. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be your friend now. Well, I'm going to try at least. And so within a month, acupuncture really helped me. Although acupuncture was a bit painful, you know, it's a good, it was a pain for a gain type thing. And, and so within a month, I was like, okay, well, I need to pay it back or pay it forward. Or I signed up for a charity run, which was the 10, the British 10K. And that's how it all started, really. So you went from hating your body to looking after your body. What was the uh, the process like? I think it's probably a combination of things where, you know, you educate yourself, you, you speak more, you speak out more, you learn, you read, you talk to your closest friends. It's still a little bit of a, an issue to talk to other people about it at that stage. I think it was a combination of things, but also it's the realization that this is not going to take you anywhere. <laughs> Hating your body is not going to take you anywhere. You have this thing to live with. And I was told, you know, it's never going to go away, ever. There's no cure. Best case scenario, you can have a sort of a decent life living with it. But, and sometimes women after the menopause experience symptoms. It was a life sentence for me. Sounds so dramatic. But endometriosis is going to ground you. And it's going to ground you all the time, every day. Until you actually start embracing the fact that you're living with this condition. I know I don't want to sound cliche because if somebody was to say that to me, I would have been like, really? You're embracing your condition? That is ridiculous. And I'm coming from a place, I think it's important for me to say because I don't want somebody to listen to what I'm saying and think, well, good for you. You found a solution. And yes, loving yourself, self-love is the way to go. It's not that. It's just that I didn't have the choice. You know, my health was deteriorating. My life was going down. I just couldn't sustain it. I just had to make changes. I had to try something else. It wasn't, you know, I didn't know if it was going to work or not, but I had to. I didn't have a choice. So you started acupuncture and signed up for your, was it your first run? Yeah, so I was kind of like, oh, it's so good. You know, acupuncture now, I feel so much better. You know, you don't have the daily pain. Or I did, but it was minimal. I could function with it. It was a bit up and down because obviously cycles are still cycles. They're quite hard to go through. But I was like, oh, you know, this is so exciting. I need to give something to somebody else. 
do something nice for people because something good happened to you. So I signed up for this run and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> How am I going to do this? How am I going to pull this off? And I remember people giving quite a bit. I think I raised 800 quid for Save the Children because people were like, ha, 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 I don't think so. 10K, she's going to die. So I actually played it in my favor that nobody believed that I could do it. And so I started training. And, and when people sponsor you, it really motivates your run. You're kind of like, I owe it to them to actually go for a run. So the first run was like... I was so embarrassed. I was like, hopefully nobody's going to see me run down the street. I probably look like a possessed chicken or something. And I ran for about 20 minutes and I was like, that's, that's pretty tough. And then um, and I gave it a couple of days and I went for another run. I think it was 30 minutes or whatnot. And I kid you not, within two weeks I had done 10K because that's who I am. I'm like, F it. I'm just going to do it. I'm, I'm going to do it. And so I get overly excited and all my runs since 2011 I've always been like this I ran a marathon last year and I was like I'm just going to run a marathon before the marathon so I know that I can do it that's that's how I function so I always do things like that anyway after two weeks I was like oh my god I did it and I'm such an idiot I didn't know about stretching and whatnot that I just snapped my Achilles so I, very quickly my body was like don't think so <laughs> but at the time I think the feeling of change like everything I was putting in place it felt like a wave of you know positivity and hope because I had gone from I look gray and I'm bleeding every day and I'm hurting so much every day to like oh I'm gonna go for a run so the contrast was enormous and that really felt like a the revolution I should say really a, a liberation literally it's funny because I contributed to this article and I, I literally said, oh, I hadn't felt like this for years, but I never felt like this because I had never exercised before. It was kind of a very powerful thing when you kind of like, first of all, I have never exercised before. I hated running when I was young. And two, within two weeks, I can do 10K without, you know, anything. It's free. You can do it whenever you want, morning, evening, whatnot. Yes, yeah, so of course, you look a little bit silly when you start running, but whatever you know you look silly doing other things you look silly smoking cigarettes I don't know so it was this wave of sort of like joy and relief and then at the same time it's kind of like who is this person must I tell my friends what I'm doing <laughs> um, will this still be my friends because I was like I, I could feel that I was becoming something a little bit different in terms of the energy and in terms of the focus and stuff so so running had a clear benefit on your mental health what about the impact or the benefits on your body? So I did tell you that I snapped my Achilles. That's what, <laughs> that's what happened. Um, in terms of the, the benefits, I think it was more mental than physical at the time because although I felt better, realistically, the, a 10K training, even though I was running regularly, it's not a lot of training. It's like you run maybe, you know, 10K a week or 15, I don't remember. So I think the core, the change is definitely mental. You become stronger, you become, your outlook is more positive and you, I think unconsciously, you know, the addiction starts kicking in, which is that you need to go and run and you need to go and run because you feel so powerful. You're like, oh, top of the world, I can do anything. And then I started working again and... And then you are a little bit more mature because you've gone through that learning curve as well. So at work, I was a little bit different. 
Well, it's interesting because the way you've approached running is quite similar to the way you describe your attitude to work. I'm very goal-minded. I'm, I'm very driven. And that's why also I regularly give myself objectives in terms of running because I need something to look forward to and I need to push myself. And work is the same. It's, I need to, you know, I have milestones or I had milestones and it was really important to me. So that's the way I function. And I, I completely understand that everyone is different and that running will create a different emotions to different people. I now talk a lot about running because I now understand the physical and physiological benefits to running and how we, you know, it impacts endometriosis. But, but then I didn't. And when you went back to work, did you feel different? Yeah, you're a bit different. Your focus is, my focus is on work and I worked a lot. And, but it was also like, I'm doing this 10K, thank you very much. That was what I stood for. So I was now not only a businesswoman, but I was also like a bit of a runner. I didn't go overboard with the way I spoke about it, but it was really important to me. You know, there's something, it was a commitment. And I, through my 20s, I didn't have any commitment outside of work. Ever, which is quite bad. I was quite one-dimensional in my life. I was like work, work, work. I mean, obviously, drink, drink, drink. Outside the work, and smoke, and smoke as well. But it was, and that was a huge commitment to smoking. But um, I, I didn't have any commitments per se, and that to me, that run was so important. It was like a proper thing. You know, it's it something that I was so proud of. And my friends were like, ha ah. ha. Not understanding the shift. I think it took me quite a long time to being able to voice the shift also that it had generated in me. I was, I, I think I was just learning at the time how to voice my feelings and opinions because it's, it's one thing that I wasn't very good at through the years and maybe it's why I was diagnosed so late. It's because I wasn't able to um, speak out. I wasn't able to talk about things that are quite intimate. Running itself wasn't intimate but the, all the stuff that it brought into my life was very intimate well, it sounds like you needed this balance yeah and you and i talk about meditation quite a lot and i you know i'm very restless as a person and i find it hard to uh, meditate but i think running is that because when i run i don't necessarily think about things i don't process thoughts or rather i have thoughts going through my head that are never really negative or if they are they're very short-lived and it's kind of a way to switch off like this, you know, I can run for like an hour and I don't really know what I've gone through in terms of thinking process. So it, maybe it's my way to meditate. You're right. And it's intimate because the feeling in my stomach, I can't describe it when I run and I achieve what I've, I've given the task that I've given myself that day is just so intimate. It's just amazing. And is it similar to the feeling you have when you achieve something at work um i think it's different in the emotion that's conveyed because at work you're supposed to be quite self-contained and to me running i'm not self-contained so you finish your run they're like yay yes and i swear and i sigh and i complain and i i don't know it's very, to me, it's very physical. Like the, the manifestation of it is right, really physical. At work, I try to be quite contained. And it's kind of like, you know, sure, it's a, it's a great achievement, but I'm not going to jump around and whatnot. And literally when I did the marathon last year before the real one, literally I was jumping around. I don't know how I got the strength. I was dead at the time, but I did. I jumped around. But I never wanted to be too like philosophical about stuff that I was going through because I'm quite pragmatic as a person 
But I think it's not only reconciling your body and your mind, but it's also accepting that you have this condition and that it affects your life and that you're not less of a person. Because I think, you know, you're, you're 30, you are probably going to have a lot of trouble conceiving and maybe you can't conceive at all. You can belly work and sex is not great. So you're not the ultimate bachelor there. Like you, I always used to say or used to feel that I was less of a woman. If I compare myself to other women, I was like, you can't, probably can't have children. You can't, you know, you're tired all the time. You know, you're not that great, are you? So I think, I think it was that on the one side, you know, trying to make my, myself feel a little bit better with these things in mind. Like how am I going to be in a relationship if sex is painful? It's fine. It's just being with the right person. But in my mind, it was very difficult to conceive that, you know, I was going to live my life like this. And on the other side, it's like, this thing is not going to go away ever. And that's hard. That takes, it takes a long time to process that something that's forever. Because to me, my life, nothing was forever. Everything was what I wanted when I wanted it. I was entirely in control of everything and then everything collapses and you've been told that your life's going to be shitty for the next 30 years. Although it wasn't that great up to diagnosis, right? But in my mind, it was like one of those things. It's fine. I can, I can deal with it. But so, yeah, it was reconciling and accepting that I had to be a person that is not defined by the condition, but also is accepting the fact that she does have a condition. <laughs> 